For our scripture reading this morning, we're going to turn to the first epistle of John and the chapter 5 of the epistle, please. First John, that's the first epistle of John, and the chapter 5, reading from verse 1. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. For whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Who is he that overcometh the world? But he that believeth that Jesus is the Son of God. This is he that came by water and blood, even Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit that beareth witness, because the Spirit is truth. There are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. And there are three that bear witness in earth, the Spirit, and the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. If we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater for this is the witness of God, which he hath testified of his Son. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave of his Son. And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. These things have I written unto you, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe, that is, continue to believe, on the name of the Son of God. Amen. And now we lend our, our reading. And let us once again unite our hearts together in prayer. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the Scriptures of Truth. We thank Thee for this precious, blessed book, the Word of God, the inspired Word, the inerrant Word, and the infallible Word of God, faithfully preserved and recorded for us, in this great old authorised version of the Scriptures. We thank Thee, Lord, for the privilege of reading therein, 
We thank thee for the liberty that we enjoy in this land that allows us to meet in this fashion and to read, read thy word and expand it and explain it and consider it. And we thank thee, Lord, for the Holy Spirit who leadeth us into all truth. We pray that thou will bless this scripture that we have read together and we ask that thou will open our understanding that we might understand the scriptures. And we pray, Father, that thou will give us ears to hear what God the Lord hath to say to us from out of his holy word. Loving Father, we gather today to worship thee and to praise thee. It is right that we should do so, for thou art worthy of all praise and all worship. Thou art God over all, and beside thee there is none else. Thou art the mighty maker of heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. All that hath being has come from thy hand. And we, Lord, thou hast created us and given us the very breath that is in our nostrils. Every beat of our heart we owe to thee. All good that we enjoy, Lord, thou hast bestowed it upon us. Thou art the author of every good and every perfect gift. And so we come to praise thee. But as we do so, Lord, we feel very conscious of our inability to render the praise and the worship that thou art worthy of. And so we ask the help of the Holy Spirit that we might be able to worship thee in spirit and in truth. For we know that the Father seeketh such to worship him. As we gather here today, may we be conscious of thy presence in the midst. We thank thee that thou art here, we have thy word for it. For thou didst say, Lord, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. We thank thee, Lord, that you're with thy people, be they few or many, when they gather in the name of the Lord. And we pray today that we will be very conscious that God is in this place. May our hearts be richly blessed and drawn out after thee. We pray that thou will give us ears to hear what God the Lord would say to us from out of his word. And we pray that thou wilt help in the preaching of thy word. And we ask, Father, that thou wilt help also in the hearing of it, that we might hear thy word aright, even to the blessing of our hearts. We do remember today those that are unable to be here, some, Lord, perhaps on holidays. Uh, we pray that thou will bless them and bring them, keep them safe and bring them again refreshed and renewed to this thy house. We think of the minister, the Reverend McLaughlin, that thou will bring him and his family home safe and sound and renewed and refreshed to continue the work here in this place. Father, we remember those that are sick today that are laid aside that need thy healing touch. May it please thee to raise them to health and strength. And we would not be unmindful of the aged of the congregation. Some, Lord, who were very faithful when they were able to be here, but by reason of age they're not able to be in the house of the Lord anymore. We commit them to thee and pray that thou be with them. May they know the fulfilment of that sweet promise, to whore hair will I carry thee. We commit them to thy loving care. And our Father, we're conscious as we gather here, so there are many similar gatherings around our land and nation and further abroad. And we pray for all thy people, wherever they are gathered. We pray for the whole family of the Free Presbyterian witness <coughs> throughout the world, that thou will grant thy blessing, and that thou will bless 
every congregation and every brother that preaches thy word. And we pray, Lord, that thou will bless thy saints everywhere. So do us good now, Lord. Draw very near and bless our hearts. We pray in our Saviour's name. Amen. Amen. You'll find my text for this morning in the first 13 of this fifth chapter of the first epistle of John. The first reads, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe or keep on believing and continue to believe on the name of the Son of God. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. My subject for this morning is the full assurance of faith. John in this epistle is anxious that believers in the Lord Jesus might be fully assured of their standing in Christ and of the blessedness <coughs> that is theirs in Christ. Indeed, it would seem that the whole epistle is written to this end. Again and again we find the apostle saying such things as, And these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. That's chapter 1 and verse 4. So John tells us why he's writing. He says, these things write we unto you, that your joy may be full. He wants us to live in the fullness of joy. And then in chapter 2, verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. So, the Apostle wants us to know that we know God, to be sure that we know God. And he tells us how we may know if we keep his commandments. Then we shall know that we know God. Then in the first five of that second chapter, John writes, But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected. Hereby know we, that we are in him. So he wants us to know these things. He wants us to know that we're in Christ. And if we move on to the 14th verse of chapter 3, you'll find that the apostle says there, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. Ah, that's a wonderful text, isn't it? Here's how we know that we have passed from death unto life. Because we love the brethren. That's the great evidence of being in possession of eternal life and salvation. We love the brethren. And that's a text that some folk would need to read. They need to read it very closely and think about it. Because if you read that text in its context, you'll find if you don't love the brethren, then you're not one of the beloved of the Lord either. And your hope is in vain. But anyway, that's maybe for another day. But the Apostle here wants us to know and gives us means whereby we might know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. The love of the brethren is an evidence that we have passed from death unto life. 
Then in the um, 18th verse of chapter 3, my, my little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but indeed in truth, that is, don't just talk about it. Some people are good about talking. Oh, I love you, brother. Whenever I was over in Canada, uh, there was this, uh, and in America, the United States, oh, they would have given you a hug and they have given you a holy kiss. I used to say, the handshake will do me fine, thank you. I love you, brother. Yeah. Yes, well, of course, the tongue can say just about anything. Uh, but we're not to love in word only, but in deed and in truth. Give me the old-fashioned Irish man any day who doesn't run about talking to his wife, saying, I love you, I love you. He doesn't need to say that. He'd be embarrassed to say that, but he shows it by his um, faithfulness and his devotion, his deeds and actions. So we're not... And the Apostle goes on, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth, and hereby we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. How do we know? When we love not in word and in tongue, but in deed and in truth, hereby by this means we know that we are of the truth, and we assure our hearts before God. Verse 7 of chapter 4. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and every one that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Then if we come into the fifth chapter, you see this theme's right through the epistle. And the first one, Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And every one that believeth, and every one that loveth him that begot, loveth him also that is begotten of him. So how do we know we're born of God? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And then in verse 2 of that fifth chapter, by this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and keep his commandments. So we find that right through the epistle, the epistle indeed does seem to be written with the end and the purpose of assuring Christians of their standing in Christ how they may know that they are truly in Christ and the blessings that are theirs in Christ that they might know that they have everlasting and eternal life. And then in our text for today, John writes, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life. Wonder do you know that you have eternal life? You see, the Apostle doesn't want us just to think that we have eternal life. Doesn't want us just to hope that we have eternal life. And not only the Apostle, because the Apostle, of course, is speaking through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it's God who doesn't just want us to hope and to think that we might have eternal life. God wants us to know that we have eternal life. Now there are those abroad who try to tell us that, well, we can't be really sure. We can only rise as high as hope. Well, I don't know what to do with the first epistle of John, because this whole epistle shows us how we might know. And if he shows us how we might know, surely the inference is 
the clear teaching is that God wants us to know that we have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life this morning? Do you know that? For, for certainty, are you sure? Have you ever any confidence? Are you living in the full assurance of faith in Christ? Do you know that you have eternal life? And do you know that you have an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away, laid up in heaven for you? This is a precious knowledge, you know. This is something that is of great value. It's of more value than the whole world and all the treasures of this old world. To know with assurance that you have eternal life. This is a blessing that money cannot buy. Money cannot buy it. It's a precious knowledge. It is to know this is a, a pearl of great price. A gem of infinite value to know that we have eternal life. You see, the Word of God clearly teaches that the gift of eternal life belongs to everyone that believes in Jesus as their Savior. This is the repeated and clear declaration of the Word of God. In John's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 24, the Savior says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death unto life. And then in the sixth chapter of the same gospel, the Lord says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. In the chapter 3 of John's gospel, verse 36, so John seems to be taken up with this theme. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And of course it wasn't just John. Paul in Romans 6 and 23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the Bible clearly and repeatedly declares that the believer in Jesus has eternal life. That's a, a clear, plain teaching of the Word of God. It's not taught in one particular place or in one particular book. It's taught throughout the Bible that the believer in Jesus Christ has eternal life. And this eternal life is not mere eternal existence. Oh no, life is not just existence. Not at all. The lost soul in hell has eternal existence. But that eternal existence cannot be called life. Indeed, in fact, the Bible teaches and calls that death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Hell is the second death. So, this eternal life is not merely eternal existence. Eternal life, the word life here, involves all that is that makes life worth living. All that is joyous, all that is good, all that is glad, all that is wonderful. If you like, happiness. Real happiness pure happiness 
That's what the word life here means. And eternal life is eternal happiness. Eternal happiness. Which we possess now. This life, it involves regeneration or the new birth. It is to be born again of the Spirit of God. Because we cannot know eternal happiness except we're born again. Because we cannot see the kingdom of God except we're born again. Didn't Jesus say that to Nicodemus? Except a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He, therefore, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot enter into that land of the blessed. He cannot enter into or enjoy eternal life. You must be born again. You need a new heart. You need a new nature. You need a, a fundamental radical change of heart. If you're living as you're born, then you don't have eternal life. But if you are born again, if you're saved, trusted Christ as your Savior, you've, renewed, you've received a, a new life, a new nature. This word life involves justification from all sin. What a precious thing. The word justification is a legal forensic term that means to be declared not guilty of any crime against God by the very judge of all the earth himself. Not guilty. That's something you'll want to hear in the day of judgment. When that great white judgment throne is set up and all men are gathered before that throne, the living and the dead, when the graves shall give up their dead and death and hell shall give up their dead and the sea shall give up their dead and all men will stand before God. Oh, what a blessing to hear God declare, not guilty, not guilty. And all believers will hear, not guilty, not guilty of any crime against God. And of course this word life, it means, involves reconciliation to God, to be brought into a state of peace and fellowship and communion with God. You see, sin separates from God. But whenever we believe in Jesus Christ and we're born again, our sins are washed away in the precious blood of the Lamb. They are blotted out and we are thereby reconciled to God, brought again into fellowship and into communion with God. The word life indicates union with Christ. It involves glorification at the end of life. For whom the Lord foreknew, then he also called and whom he called, then he also justified, and whom he justified, then he also glorified. Oh, this life falls an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that fadeth not away in heaven for all eternity. It is eternal bliss, eternal happiness. It is the life of God in the soul, and it is life with God for all eternity. This life uh, is the possession of of every believer the moment he or she believes in Jesus. We don't have to wait until we get to heaven to enter into this life and this joy and this gladness. It's our possession the moment we believe in Jesus. And the sinner that believes in Jesus receives life eternal, is, in, is brought into possession of eternal life. And you may have come into the meeting this morning in your sin and on your way to hell under wrath and condemnation. But if you trust Christ as your Savior, you can go away with eternal life, this life in your soul, this hope in your heart, your present possession, which will be fully realized in glory. It's, this eternal life is obtained through the knowledge of God and his 
Christ. John 17 verse 3. And this is life eternal that they might know thee. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What is it to know God? The word know here expresses more than a mere speculative acquaintance with the character and perfections of God. It includes love to God, reverence for God, obedience to God, honouring God, gratitude to God, supreme affection for God. To know God is to know and regard him as a lawgiver, a sovereign, a saviour, a parent, a friend. Do you know God in this way? Do you know him as your father? Do you know him as your saviour? Do you know him as your friend? A friend is sticketh close in a brother. To know God is to yield the whole soul to him and strive to obey his law. And so this eternal life comes to us through knowing God after this fashion. Knowing him as our father, knowing him as our saviour, knowing him as our friend. Do you know him? Well, this, the Bible declares that all who believe in Jesus are in possession of this eternal life. But sadly, it is possible for a believer uh, to be unaware of his possession of this life, or at least to doubt and not be absolutely sure of it. And how many there are like that? They go through life doubting, hobbling along. As Mr. Spurgeon said, they go to heaven in a second-class carriage. He says he gets in the first class and goes there in comfort. And there's some Christians, say they're going to have, some of them are even in a third-class carriage. It used to be first, second, third class. Whenever I travel, it's usually third class, you know. But when I'm going to heaven, I hope, in the first-class carriage. And, but there's some Christians, and they go hobbling along, uh, and they, they always seem to be in doubt, not quite sure. They hope, they think, they're fairly sure, but not 100% sure. Why is this? That this is so is clear from the Scripture before us. John writes in order to assure the true believers that if they ha that they have eternal life if they truly believe in Jesus. The fact that he so assures them implies that they are not sure. See, you don't reassure somebody who is already assured. And so this text implies that there are some Christians who are not fully assured. The men, why is that? Why is that? Well, with some, it's a lack of knowledge of the Scriptures. They don't know their Bibles well enough. They don't know the Word of God. They don't know the promises of God. They're, some of these verses I've read, they're unaware of them. And that's the result of not reading your Bible or reading it hastily, not reading it prayerfully or thoughtfully. Not enough just to read your Bible. You need to understand what the Bible says. You need to try to, you need to ask your Bible questions. Whenever you read it, you say, well, now what does that mean? What is God saying? What is he saying to me here? What does he mean by that? And you, that's how you ought to read your Bible. Uh, but some Christians just read it. And if you ask them after they read what did you read? I don't know. But I've done my duty anyway. I've read my chapter for the day. <laughs> or whatever. 
No, you've got to read it. And you see, if you don't read it right, or, or if you don't read it at all, and you don't familiarize yourselves with these great passages, go through your Bible, mark all these great passages out, and think about them. But some don't. And because of ignorance of the Word of God, they are beset by doubts and fears. And some, of course, are like that because they're always dwelling on their many failures and getting their eyes of the Lord. They're always looking inwards. Always looking inwards. And whenever you look inwards, now it's not a bad thing. Self-examination is a good thing. It is a good thing. Some people think and believe and don't doubt that they have eternal life. But they need to think again. <laughs> they need to examine their hearts to make sure. And they need to have good grounds for believing that. But there are those who are saved and nevertheless they spend their time morbidly looking into themselves. How could I, could I really be a Christian? I, you know what I did? Know what I do? Oh, I have to, I'm so weak here. I, you know, and that's what they do. Get your eyes of yourself and get your eyes on the cross and you'll have a bit more assurance. Sometimes this doubt and fear is a result of ill health or not only physical, but maybe mental or the nervous system not quite right. People get a bit down, don't they? And so all these things can cause this decline in communion with God. You know, if you don't, if you're not spending time with God day by day, then you'll get into a state of doubting. And if you allow sin, if you harbour sin in your heart or in your life, then sin will destroy your assurance. So while God wants us to know that we have eternal life, it's possible to be saved and have eternal life and yet not to be absolutely sure of it. And this is a very grievous thing because if you're not sure of it, well, it seriously hinders your spiritual joy and happiness. Seriously hinders it. How, how can you rejoice and hope if you're always doubting? How can you know that joy unspeakable and full of glory if you're always doubting, am I saved, am I not? There are people that live down in the valley where the mists swirl of un unbelief and doubt swirl around them. They never seem to get up to Pisgah's lofty height. Oh, get up to Pisgah's lofty height and view the landscape or in the full assurance of faith. Oh no, uh, to doubt, to be in a perpetual state of doubting it destroys your joy, it destroys your happiness, it destroys your effectiveness in witnessing for God. How can you witness to somebody else and encourage them to trust Christ as your Savior and ensure them to be saved if you're not sure yourself? It dishonors God. Because you don't believe God. You're not putting your confidence in God's Word. God said, listen, if I give you my word about something, and you said, well, we'll see. And you didn't really trust me, I would be greatly offended. Because you'd be saying, I'm not trustworthy. Oh, this state of doubting uh, and unbelief dishonors God. It cripples our effectiveness in the work of God. It seriously interferes with our spiritual growth and development. That's why Paul had to write to the Corinthians and he called them babes in Christ said he couldn't speak to them uh, as 
mature Christians. He had to speak to them as babes. He couldn't feed them on the strong meat of the word. He had to feed them on the milk of the word. Now a baby's cute. And little ones are cute. But if they stay like that, we begin to get worried. If their growth is stunted, we begin to get worried. If they don't grow and develop, we get worried. And some Christians don't seem to grow or develop. And because they never come to that place of full assurance of faith. Full assurance of faith is a very grievous, uh, the lack of it is a very grievous thing. The possession of it is a very desirable thing. It produces the opposite of all these. When we are fully assured that it's well with our souls, it produces joy and spiritual and full of glory. My, we can face life. We can face all life throws at us. Because we know that when life is over, we're going to be with Christ, which is far better. And the Apostle Paul could live the life he did and suffer the things he suffered and face the death that he faced and experienced because he knew that he was going to be with Christ, which was far better. And so when you have this full assurance of faith, man, you go with a spring in your step and join your heart and smile in your face and you shout glory like old Billy Bray. Old Billy Bray used to go about shouting, Glory! Hallelujah! And some of his uh, colleagues, you know, thinking he's a bit much of it, you know, try to tone him down. He says, I can't help it, brethren. He says, if you put me in a barrel, I'd shout, Glory out the bunghole! He says, when I walk along, I lift his foot, he seems to say, Praise the Lord! And he says, I lift the other one, he seems to shout, Hallelujah! He was full of the joy of the Lord. But some Christians, you say, I'm sure it's like Lurgan Spades. Uh, it's a real experience when you're up here, you know, leading meetings. I'm not talking about you. Know, it's different here, it's different here. But in other places, and, and you see Christians singing hymns. I am so glad that our Father is in heaven. Yeah, you think all was dead belonging to them. I thought to be a wee bit more like Nicholson. You remember the story of Nicholson? He was singing away and he was singing that the, and this woman and this Freddy thing round her neck, he's turned round and looked at him. And give him a dirty look because he's singing so loud. She says, I, he says, I fix her. So the next time she turned around, he went, mm. <laughs> stuck his tongue out at her. <laughs> and went on singing. Full of the joy of the Lord. Oh, but, you know, that's, that's what attracts people to Christ. Not just more, more, more morbid sort of thing. You know, people say, who's a Christian? Who want to be a Christian? That's what it does for you. No, they should see the joy of the Lord. And this joy of the Lord is only seen when you, when you enjoy the full assurance of faith. When you're walking sure that it's well with your soul. It is well, it is well with my soul. It helps you when the floods of trouble come your way. When peace like a river attendeth my way. Or when sorrows like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. And you know the story of the man that wrote that hymn. Tragedy after tragedy befell him. His wife and his lovely daughters took a trip to Europe. The boat went down, only the wife survived and his lovely daughters were drowned. And then there was the Wall Street crash. And he was a wealthy man and he lost all his wealth. He was like Job, wasn't he? And he sat down and he wrote those words. When peace like a river attendeth my way, or when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it's well with my soul. Oh, this is a wonderful thing, this full assurance. 
Oh, that we'd get a wee bit more of it. It fills us with the joy of the Lord. It helps us. It glorifies God. It greatly aids us in our work. It attracts people to Christ. It doesn't drive them away. It leads to spiritual growth and development. You're full of the joy of the Lord. You're finding, you're finding joy in the Lord. You don't need to turn to the pleasures of this world. And a bit of wonder some Christians have no assurance. They run about nibbling at the pleasures of this world, aren't they? Yeah. Sitting in front of that old box. Wouldn't miss their programmes. Yeah. I heard, I heard uh, people talking about some old soap opera one time. I didn't know they were talking about soap opera. I said, I just heard it. Did. She, I, she shot him. Shot him. Dead. There was some soap opera. And she was talking as if it, was, it had really happened. Yeah. You know, Christians go away on holidays, you know. And this is true in the set the recorder thing, so they don't miss any episodes. Oh, and that a bit of wonder you've no joy of the Lord if that's what you're at. You find your pleasure in the things of the world. You have no joy of the Lord that way. And your peace you have no peace, you'll have no assurance. But when you're filled with the joy of the Lord, man, those those things are rubbish. Those things are rubbish. You know, when you get a good feed of the wife's cooking, you don't want my cooking, <laughs> for it's rubbish. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, this full assurance is a precious thing, brethren and sisters. Have you got it? Do you know that you have eternal life? John wants you to know that you have God wants you to know that you have eternal life. That's why this scripture is written. How can we know that we have eternal life? Well, there are three ways in which we may receive assurance, this full assurance. One, we might call the witness of the word. In other words, read the word as I've been encouraging you to do. Look up the appropriate passages and commit them to memory. We've given you some of them, but there are many, many more. Search them out and feed your soul upon them. Lay hold on them by faith. Take them to yourself. It's God's word to me. Be like David Livingstone. When he died, they found his journal. And under his, in his journal was written, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. That sweet text and promise of the Saviour. And underneath it, Livingstone had written, It's the word of a gentleman, and that's good enough for me. <laughs> word of, that's good enough for me. It's God's word not good enough for you. Well, it's good enough for me. And if God says it, that's all right. I believe it. I, I, I like the wee lady. She's listening to the old atheistic preacher or teacher in Hyde Park or wherever he was, laughing and mocking at the idea of God. And he says, Jonah, <laughs> Jonah being swallowed by a whale, who believes that? And he says, I do. He said, you don't really believe that Jonah swallowed a whale. She says, sir, if the Bible says Jonah swallowed the wheel, I'd believe it. Hmm. Yeah. Yes. Well, she says, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll ask Jonah when I get to heaven. And the old atheistic preacher says, and what if he's not in heaven? She says, well, then you can ask him. <laughs> oh, get the word. Get it into your soul. Read it. Love it. Claim it. Put your foot on it. Step out on the promises. Get under the blood firm as his throne, his promise stands. 
and he can well secure what I committed to his hands the lamp decisive hour. Yes, remind yourself that God, who made those promises, cannot lie. God will never break his word. Jesus went to the cross rather than allow God's word to be broken. You remember how Peter in particular and the apostles didn't want him to go to the cross? Not so, Lord. Be it far from thee. And the Lord Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. And he says, how else can the scriptures be fulfilled? Yeah. Jesus would rather die on the cross in agony and shame than allow God's word to be broken. God won't break his word. And that's one way. Read the book, get the promises, and that will give you assurance. But another way is what we might call uh, the witness of the life, the witness of life. You see, if you read through this first epistle of John, you'll, you'll find that there are distinctive signs and marks of uh, the possession of eternal life. You'll find in, again, First John 2, verse 29, If ye know that he is righteous, ye know that every one that doeth righteousness is born of him. So, there's a mark. If you do righteous, if you live a holy life. Chapter 5, verse 1, Whosoever <coughs> believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and every one that loveth him that begot loveth him also that is begotten of him. And verse 2, by this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and keep his commandments. You know, Sam's talking about loving God. The Lord Jesus said to those that were gathered around him one day, Why call ye me Lord and Master, and do not the things that I say unto thee? Yeah? This is love. This is the love of God. If you keep God's commandments, that's the proof, that's the evidence that you love God. And that you have the Holy Spirit. And that you have eternal life. This is the evidence. If you believe in Christ. With that kind of faith we've been talking about. That faith that uh, lays hold upon Christ. Looks away from self. Depends wholly on Christ for salvation. If you have that. Then you may know that you have eternal life. John 3 and 18, my little children, that is not love and word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. Verse 19, and hereby we know that we have, that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. Hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts. Verse 24 of chapter 5, fairly, fairly I say unto of John chapter 5 rather, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life. And so there, go through the word. And you'll find that there are marks, characteristics of the person. In other words, the person that has eternal life is described in the word of God. It gives you marks and characteristics. Go read them, search them, see if you have them. Do you believe in Jesus with that saving faith, that Wholehearted trust? Are you keeping God's commandments? Do you love the brethren? Are you walking in holiness? Does your life match up? Well, if you see these marks, you can say, not only does God say it, but yes, 
I can see these things in my life and that gives you assurance gives you assurance the witness of your life man if you're fiddling about with sin you cannot be sure but if you are uh, trusting Christ and living as best you can for God and not harboring any known sin in your life then you can rejoice that you have eternal life there's one final uh, means of knowing and that's the witness of the Holy Spirit as the hymn says God's Holy Spirit with mind doth agree constantly witnessing that Jesus loves me in chapter 3 verse 23 of 1 John and this is his commandment that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment verse 24 and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him and he in him and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. The Holy Spirit dwelling in us bears witness with our spirit. And so it brings that full assurance, that, that joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Holy Spirit is imparted to God's people when they believe to enlighten their minds, to elevate their affections, to sustain them in times of trial, to quicken them in the performance of duty and to imbue them with the temper and spirit of the Lord Jesus. When these effects exist, we may be certain that the Spirit of God is with us. For these are the fruits of the Spirit, or these are the effects which he produces in the lives of men. If the Spirit dwells within us, then we can know that we have eternal life. God's Holy Spirit as we have said, the hymn writer says, constantly witnessing that Jesus loves me. Here's how we may know. Take the word of God. Read the promises. Take them home to yourself. Set your feet firmly upon them. Embrace them. Embrace them. Take them home to your heart. Rest upon them. One man I read of, he was constantly troubled by the devil, by doubts. And he used to say, he went to his pastor and his pastor said, um, well, he went to his pastor and says, every night, it seems to come at night, when I get into bed, the devil seems to come and say, you're not really seeing. So the pastor gave him a scripture. He says, now every time the devil comes uh, to you, you quote that scripture to him. And so he went to bed one night and he opened the Bible out of that passage left at the side of his table the devil came along and said you're not really serious he says yes I am just read there <laughs> so get the word and that will give you good assurance but live the life and that will increase your assurance if your life is in keeping with the word of God and you know you're living for God as best you can with the help of God not living in unknown sin then your assurance will grow and increase and you will know that you have eternal life and that not only so, but the Holy Spirit seek him day by day to fill your heart and to fill your life, to fill you with all the fruits of the Spirit. And then you will rise to that place of full, perfect knowledge and assurance of the possession of eternal life. Oh, may you do so, Christian. And if you're here this morning... And you have no such assurance of eternal life. Indeed, you know that you don't have eternal life. 
Well, if you don't have Christ, you don't have eternal life. Oh, no, no. You're living in a state of death and condemnation, and if you die without Christ, you'll go to hell. But listen, you can't have this eternal life. It's a gift of God. It's received by believing in Jesus, trusting him as your saviour. And if you trust him this morning, believe him uh, as your saviour, receive him into your life and heart, then he'll give to you the gift of eternal life. For eternal life is a gift. The wages of sin is death, the wages of sin is death but the gift of God is eternal life. You're not saved when you come receive the, the gift which he freely offers and freely gives to all who believe in Jesus. And if you're saved this morning, seek to live in the full assurance of salvation, knowing, quite knowing, face the world, face your problems, face your trials, knowing that you have eternal life. May God bless his word to her heart.